Resorts, homes and a newly built hospital have been washed away. No electricity, nothing whatsoever. We need to be prepared for the future. I'm just holding on for dear life here. This isn't fun. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Plan this time before disaster strike. Every natural disaster gets worse. What happens when something goes wrong and how do they respond to it? And make sure everyone's safety comes first. Save what for dream. You must ready. Clearing roads, restoring critical infrastructure. Eventually, I know it's going to hit. It's only a matter of time. Helping your community. Helping your family. Helping you. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Hello and welcome to Pacific Prepared. I'm Fred Hooper. We've got a great team of reporters who are on the ground chatting to you, and the stories we bring you could help you, your family, and your community prepare for natural disasters. The weather and how it affects you is already part of your life, so let's keep talking about being prepared. On today's show, an update from Papua New Guinea after a large earthquake struck over the weekend. Also, while COVID-19 takes the attention, seasonal flu hasn't gone away across the Pacific. We'll find out how one country is coping with the numbers this year. And one Fiji village is taking big steps to combat the impact of rising sea levels. That's all coming up. This is Pacific Prepared. People's lives have been affected by a disaster. Know what to do. Know what to do. Know what to do. Clearing roads, restoring critical infrastructure. See, all the signs are coming. So we have to prepare. Be prepared. Pacific Prepared. Papua New Guinea felt the impact of a 7.6 magnitude earthquake on Sunday. So far, four people have lost their lives. Pacific Repaired reporter Diane Waketsi is based in Port Moresby. Hello, Diane. Welcome to the program. Hi. Thank you. What did you experience on Sunday morning? I was in Borgo. That's one of the um, business centres in Port Moresby. What were you actually doing at that time? I was actually... On my way I, to do some shopping, when the tremors hit in the morning, everyone was a bit shocked that, you know, there was an earthquake and um, most of the people started screaming and running, you know, because it's, they weren't used to the, the tremors that uh, occurred on that day. Everyone was like in shock, actually. They were like, oh, there's an earthquake, earthquake. And people were scattered to try to, you know, they're going about the business, but then they were um, caught off guard that there was a sudden earthquake that happened. As I stood there watching the building sway from one, you know, slightly sway, I was kind of caught off guard and I was also shocked that, okay, this could be a, a big earthquake or, you know, it could be a life-threatening earthquake, or it could just be just a tremor. And so you, at this stage, were you inside a building or were you outside watching the building? I was actually outside a building. Um, I was at, at uh, one of the major shopping centres, the Stop and Shop down in Borco. So when it started, when the tremor started, I was thinking, about to go into the door, through the doorway, but then I had 
that I felt the tremor, so I had to come. I I stepped out away from the building because I was afraid that the whole building might collapse. And even though there was just a you know few tremors, I could feel the building swaying back and forth. Now we know that communication has been lost in parts of PNG. How are you affected at the moment? Obviously, you've got communications right now. Uh, for Bosby, we just felt slight tremor. So in terms of basic, you know, power and everything, water, we are okay. It's only the affected areas or affected provinces like Ley, which has total outage of power. And then we have Kainan too, that's in Goroka, that's a different province, Eastern Highlands. And I think some parts of Medane as well. You've also been in touch with somebody who lives in, I think, one of the outer provinces as well, to talk about what their experience was with the earthquake. Uh, we spoke to Frankie Kapin. He's been a long-time resident of Ley Morabe province. He told me his experience of... Um, Feeling the tremors, he was like they were all. Everyone was shocked that there wasn't any. It hit on the weekend, so um, everybody wasn't aware or no. There was no prior notification from authorities or the Department of uh, Mineral Policy and Geohazard Management. They usually send out um, information with regards to earthquakes and. There wasn't anything from them. So people were in a state of shock when the earthquake hit in those uh, three provinces. When the earthquake struck in Lehmim yesterday in the morning, you know, it took quite some time, like a a good number of seconds, going up 20 or 30 seconds, kind of 45 seconds, almost a minute. It was, I mean, for me, uh, being a lay resident for, for 10 years, 10 years now, it was the first time that me feeling kind of gorel earthquake in lay after 10 years I've been a resident of lay. So everyone ran out, the, ran out the house of the streets, car stop, you know, everything that they expect from an, and then earthquake, all the reactions and it happened. But but the general view of the the earthquake long time it struck is that everyone were not prepared. They were caught red-handed. Even, you know, landed people, prominent people, their families, uh, their relatives, like I know, institutions, universities, lawyer, this kind of schools, boarding schools, everyone was caught off uh off and uh caught red ended or just Right now, as of this morning, Monday, uh, you resume the walk, school, everything. Um, it's because of power blackout. Now, this lamb affecting planting line, especially the business sector in, in Lay. Uh, since, since yesterday, come, everyone, especially your business houses, have uh, been running on standby generator. But quick finish, and, and we experienced the power blackout as well. So, the power blackout continued all day as they come. Yesterday in the evening, come this morning as well. It's heading 24 hours now, almost a day too long. A power blackout in Lay City. They didn't. They didn't really have time to be prepared. Like I made our especially our rural areas as well. They 
Code by surprise, planting sample bar up. So, I mean, they planting it to it to seek medivac services or manolos, the manolos aviation. They did they did a few flights that like I'm helping a few people from rural Morbeu really in a bad impact of the earthquake. With now Monday rolling in, the Prime Minister has assured that services will be. Um, proper investigations will be, um, I mean, the police and the army are willing to step in to assist affected areas. And once um, uh, proper assessments are made, proper authorities will move in to assist the affected areas. The Prime Minister has already made a statement with regards to the current situation on ground. Did they give you any indication of how long that might be? Would it be sort of a couple of days or a week or two weeks? They haven't said given a specific timing. It should take a couple of days because, I mean, the most affected areas are the people in the rural area and because of geographically, Papua New Guinea, in terms of geography, it's hard to reach the rural people that have been greatly affected. So it should take a couple of days before any proper help is sent to to the rural um, people who are greatly affected in this whole situation. Diane McKenzie, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. We need to be prepared for the future. Helping you stay safe. We have built a seawall two times, but it did no good. What happens when something goes wrong and how do they respond to it? Plan this time before disaster strike. Every natural disaster gets worse. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. While the COVID-19 pandemic has been sweeping across the world, other viruses and flus haven't stopped. They've still been active. Pacific Prepared reporter based in Palau, Janice Reutinger, spoke with the Minister of Health and Human Services in Palau to find out how the country is coping with the current flu levels. Uh, domestically, we rely on what's called the EpiNet or the Epidemiology, uh, Epidemiological Network, um, which uh, is comprised of uh, an Epi as well as uh, public health and some uh, hospital programs that would convene whenever there's a uh, uh, a suspected threat of any communicable disease, including uh, flu. And so there's uh, certain thresholds that um, exist. And if uh, uh, those thresholds are surpassed with the number of cases that we see uh, here at the hospital, uh, then that triggers that uh, activation of the EpiNet team, which will then convene and review the situation, assess the situation, uh, looking at the number of cases and uh, the uh, demographics and all other relevant information. And then uh, they come up with um, uh, a plan of attack to try to address the situation. So that's currently what the mechanism is in place at the ministry. First, looking at if there's a global pandemic uh, of a flu-like illness, then there's a pan flu, a pandemic flu plan that we follow. Uh, but for cases within Palau, if they reach or go beyond a, a certain threshold, then that EpiNet team gets activated to 
uh, formulated response. Palau get a lot of outside help uh, to address uh, healthcare issues. Are there programs that are prepared uh, to empower local communities? Yes. So as um, you know, as we've seen with uh, this current uh, COVID nineteen pandemic, we do we do get a lot of assistance and uh, 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 partnership with um, a lot of our bilateral and uh, um, external partners and donors. For example, the U.S. government, uh, Japan, uh, Taiwan, Australia, uh, among others, and of course we have the World Health Organization (WHO) and uh, the U.S. CDC, which uh, provides uh, a lot of uh, funding support for our public health programs here at the Ministry of Health and Human Services. So there are existing uh, partnerships that we um, rely on for a lot of the public health and human services. Uh, and um, really they're, um, they're uh, designed to uh, enable us to identify uh, health issues and health problems out there in the community and then working with uh, these partners we try to come up with um, effective ways to address those health issues so currently we do have a lot of um, uh, funding assistance as well as technical uh, assistance from uh, all of these partners that i have just mentioned how do you assess the threat of flu to palau and its people it's uh, interesting with the the, the recent um, increase in flu cases i think this is the most uh, this recent uh, surge is probably the most we've seen in a very long time. So it kind of caught us a little bit off guard, but then, you know, understanding that we've been pretty much closed in terms of our borders, closed to mass travel uh, for the good part of uh, the last two years. So uh, it's it sort of expected that once we reopened, um, then, uh, you know, that, that risk of importing new strains of, uh, strains of uh, influenza uh, would come in as well. So uh, it's not something that we've seen in a long time uh, with the spike, uh, but the monitoring uh, element is there whenever people come in to uh, seek medical attention. Um, the doctors and the, the nurses at the hospital are able to diagnose them with um, equipment at the lab. And, and uh, once they're identified as uh, flu cases, then we can start tracking the number uh, of cases that we see we are seeing in the community uh, how do you avoid it overwhelming the system yeah so much like the um the uh the response that we've um uh sustained for covid19 it's always a uh a constant um uh it, it requires a lot of planning a lot of monitoring not just for the the actual disease but also looking at the resources we have uh, the human resource we have, uh, therapeutics and drugs and medicine, as well as other items, the equipment and, and uh, medical supplies that we need. And so um, what's, what usually happens is if uh, there is an increase in cases that goes beyond the threshold, uh, as I mentioned, we start with that EpiNet team. And that team uh, is tasked to coordinate uh the relevant response, so that includes making sure that we have enough medical personnel, uh, that we have enough non-clinical -clin staff, as well as uh, logistics and financing to sustain a response to uh, 
an outbreak such as a, a big influenza outbreak in Punau. The last flu outbreak or cases, do you have a number of how many were affected? Are there many uh, who had also a lot of people uh, who got vaccinated for flu? How is it important? Yeah, unfortunately, I don't have um, the actual numbers in front of me. But just by um, observation, uh, uh, when we did start seeing that steep increase in flu cases, it's the first time ever that we've had a full uh, award at the hospital, just uh, full of uh, admitted patients that are, are, are there for the flu. And so that is uh, an unprecedented event for us. We've had um, several uh, admissions in the past, but nowhere near the numbers that we saw with the, with the recent uh, flu outbreak. Uh, you mentioned uh, the flu vaccine. Uh, we do get some uh, doses of the seasonal flu vaccine from uh, the U.S. through our uh, immunization program. However, we, um, we realize that uh, every year that um, uh, limited uh, doses of flu vaccines usually uh, is usually given out to healthcare uh, workers and then um, the most vulnerable population, so the elderly uh, and those with uh, underlying medical conditions. But seeing uh, how um, uh, things went with the recent uh, flu outbreak um, and the surge in cases, we are in the process of reevaluating whether or not we should increase uh, the, the number of doses of seasonal flu vaccines that we need to um, request or procure for, for future use. But uh, I think in the uh, traditionally and historically, the number of uh, doses we receive uh, for the seasonal flu vaccine is only 1,000. The Minister for Health and Human Services in Palau and the impact the seasonal flu is having across the country this year. Pacific Prepared reporter Janice Roitingna with that story. Disaster is part of our life and recovering is also part of our life. As you see, they're smiling despite the devastation. That's how we are. You are listening to Pacific Prepare. Vanua Levu, Fiji's second largest island. There's a small coastal village in the southwest, right on the ocean. There's lush green grass throughout the whole village, plenty of room for homes. But one major problem the ocean is getting closer to the community and their homes. This is one of the residents of the village. He's bald and got quite a thick grey beard. And he's wearing a light blue, long-sleeved, button-down shirt. And he's really passionate about this place. He's showing me the damage caused by rising sea levels. So some of these houses are submerged because they're so close to the water? Yes. The, this, is, this was built in the 1950s. Oh, this is the remaining of the whole house that was here during those times. This is the old one. So the, the rest was actually, it's, it's a new new generation that came in. This is the only one left from the, from the time they started uh, building this house in the village. This is the only first one, the, la, the only remaining one. Bula, I'm uh, Sakiasi, actually from this uh, village here. Actually, I'm staying here. I've been here for quite, quite some time. I've been here for a year now. Uh, originally, I'm from Telebu in Kamba in Bau, Telebu. Yeah. Uh, just tell me about what you know about the seawall that's being built behind us here. Actually, a few years back, we had one, um, there, were, there was one uh, 
development that came here from the Japanese JICA that uh, made the seawall here because of the low-lying uh, um, areas about this village here. So, so that's completely washed out and now we are into the second phase now with, with the government assistance. Eh? This village during high tide, during spring tide, the, the villages is it's all uh, filled with water, especially it's below sea level at the moment now. So actually most of it with, with rain that comes in together with uh, the spring tide, that's very bad. That goes further up to the road where, where we used to come in with the transport. What do you think the next few years will look like for this village here? Um, I guess with the seawall, but beyond that too, for the next sort of five to ten years, what do you think it's going to look like here? What we advise the, the young generation that's coming up now, they are, they are trying to move up now. If uh, further up here, there's few guys, we have, there's few other settlements around this village now that's starting up just because of this uh, high rise sea level, eh? the rise of the sea level. We are, we are suffered, we, are, we have suffered from this rise of the sea level now. The house we built, we, even the corrugated, doesn't last long. So even with the rise of the sea level, this place is all flooded. So what's this building here? This is the church, the, wow. uh, the two villages uh, church here. The church is like only, well, meters 20 away. metres, yeah, meters <laughs> not even that. Yeah. Before, before the, the shoreline was, I think, about 50, 50 metres from where it is at the moment. Yeah. 50 metres out? Yes. Wow. It used to be somewhere down there. We sit down with the village headman at his house, also right on the ocean. And in the background, you can hear a digger, which is constructing a seawall, which is something the residents hope will give them some temporary relief. Can you tell me about the construction of the seawall that's happening behind us here? He has been holding the village headman. Otoranikoro title of position over the past nine, for 19 years. Uh, he has been asking uh, government and relevant authorities if they can uh, assist uh, uh, the construction of seawall to, to protect the villages. When he was promoted to district uh, rep uh, towards uh, the third year, then uh, uh, the government through the Ministry of Waterways uh, came in to to actually uh, implement uh, the the project or the construction of the nature base uh, uh, seawall, uh, the village heads have agreed that all uh, the the younger generation who are planning to construct new homes, they need to construct their homes further inland. No other construction homes should be done within this area, within the village, uh, uh, this area, yeah, because. Uh, Climate change is inevitable, the racing tides. Can you explain what it was like before the seawall was put in, in place and, and what was happening to the village here? Mm. Friend, before the, they start constructing the nature-based seawall, uh, there would be coastal flooding. Yeah, uh, houses that are located along this uh, uh, this coastal area would be a portion of the a section of the house would be flooded during high tide 
even the assessment team who from the from the Ministry of Waterways when they came in they they witnessed they saw it themselves the 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 the, the hardships that they had to endure on a daily basis, especially during high tide. So that's why they lobbied, they pushed for the need to construct this uh, a nature-based seawall. I guess so ultimately people might not just live here at one stage, would be the, you know, ultimately. Only time will tell. Eh? Uh, also, government, uh, depending on the government decision, mm-hmm. on the need to to relocate uh, the villages. We're back on the beach now, seeing the impacts of rising sea levels, which is hard to understand until you see them right in front of you. This is what are coming up now. Does, it's be... does somebody live in this house? Yes, wow. still. Wow. Mm. They're not. They're not. They're reluctant to move out. Then. I don't know what they're doing here. That's all gone. This is the bathroom and the toilet. This is where it used to be. So we can see like concrete outlines of where rooms would have been. Yeah. So there, there's nothing left over. Yeah. So that got washed away, right? All washed away. Yeah. Mm. And so, but people are still reluctant to move, or they just can't. They don't have the capacity to move. Well, uh, I, I, we can see much about the new generation here. Yeah. But we have been telling them this is what happens when you don't move. Here, this is what happens when you don't move. Even if with the, with the, with the, with the new project coming up with the seawall, but people have to move, nothing else. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks for it. Naka. Naka. What's your plan? Are you ready to leave your home? Plan now before disaster strikes. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared is supported by the Pacific Media Assistance Scheme with funding from the Australian Government's Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Any views expressed do not necessarily represent those of PACMAS or the Australian Government. It's produced and distributed in partnership with Radio Australia and networks across the Pacific including Radio New Zealand Pacific, NBC Papua New Guinea, Palau Wave Radio, Capital FM 107 Vanuatu, FBC Fiji, Samoa National Radio 2AP, SIBC, Solomon Island Broadcasting Corporation, and TBC Tonga. If your organisation is working in disaster preparedness or resilience, Keep us informed so that we can keep everybody informed. Maybe you've got a story idea, a personal experience to share, or a topic to cover, or maybe someone that we should meet. The easiest way to get in touch is to search for Pacific Prepared and then hit the Contact Us button. You can also listen back to the program. Just type Pacific Prepared into your search engine and you'll find us. 
have conversations about disasters. What would you do and how will you prepare? We're trying to help you make the next disaster easier for you and your family. My name's Fred Hooper. Please share any information that you've learned today and stay safe. This has been Pacific Prepared. <laughs>